This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Yes, it is the Subway to Shea podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow me on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Make sure you turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Also, please take a few minutes, write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show. You could probably do that on Apple Podcasts. That's probably the best place to do it. Write me a review. Rate the show. Help me to climb up those rankings when it comes to baseball podcasts and Mets podcasts. I would really appreciate it, even if there's things that you don't like about the show. Let me know, because I want to know how to make this show better for you, the Mets fans out there. So leave me a review. Rate the show. If you give me five stars, even better. I'd appreciate it. You can also find Subway to Shea on YouTube. This podcast is available every Thursday on the HSP Network. Catch me alongside podcasts like The Bullpen with DA, Third Floor Lounge, which covers the NFL and NBA, and Sus Talk. Just search High Spot Podcast on YouTube or youtube.com slash High Spot Podcast and make sure to subscribe today. Big thanks and shout out to Matthew Tetrone, who joined me last week. We talked about his apparel and clothing company, 1986. Matthew sells a lot of t-shirts and a whole lot more. So make sure you check out his website and buy some Mets merch. All right, Mets fans, we are going to do a little something different this week. Over the last month or so, I've been bringing guests on each and every week. So we do have a guest, but it's going to be a little different. He's going to be like my co-host host this week. Al Cintrone <laughs> joins me now, and you may know him on Twitter at one infamous T-O-L, where he does his infamous takes on the Mets, the Knicks, and the Washington Redskins. He's also a contributor for the Seven Line. Al, how you doing, buddy? What's going on, brother? I'm good. It's the Washington football team now. Oh my goodness, yes. Uh, you know, it's been so long now, I even forget. You know, I haven't really watched football as much in a long time, but how do you feel about that, actually, about them being the Washington football team? At first, I was against it uh, because I grew up on that and I have so much merch. But then I thought about it and I'm like, you know what? It's the right thing to do. If it offends a certain group, then I understand the name change. I just wish it was across the board. But, you know, I'm happy they did it. It's different, but I like it now. I fell in love with it. So it's all good. And they won a division this year, so. Yeah, 7-9, and nine, but I'll take it. You got to be in it to win it. And we did give Tampa their toughest game in the playoffs. So I'm happy with that. By any means necessary. Exactly. All right, Al, you made a great comment during your infamous take on Sunday. You said the start of this season feels like the Mets are 0-5. I agree with you, but let everyone know why you feel that way. It feels like 0-5 because of the, the bats are not awake, and I understand that every baseball season, the bats are behind pitching. It's just the way it happens. But it feels like 0-5 base because of the fan base, to be honest with you. It's so negative, and I've been saying this all during this offseason. I've said it for years, actually. 
Met Twitter is so toxic. And the way that, you know, it's crazy. So, for example, the Wilpons, we killed them, rightfully so, right? The fan base, we need to get rid of them, sell the team, MLB, step in. It finally happens, the sale of the team. And I've said on my infamous take, it's like winning the World Series with the Wilpons gone and, and Steve Cohen in charge. So that's a win right there. So this year, to me, is the beginning of something special. But five games in, it's like 0-5, and, and the fan base is just its just bad. It's just so negative. Yeah, and I, I kind of feel also at fault myself for... I, I just get frustrated so quickly. But, you know, and then I have to, like, reel myself in. You know, it's a process. Like you said, uh, Steve Cohen just taking over this year. Actually, throughout most of this offseason, I've been pretty much like you, just calm. And, and I don't know if, if it's because of the lack of false starts we've had with Washington having COVID and then, you know, mm-hmm. the rainouts. I think, I, I don't know, all that frustration boils over and we just, we haven't even seen that much baseball at all. No. And the, the other thing that adds to this is that, okay, this offseason, everybody wanted certain people, right? And the season started, this is the team we have. To me, we got the best player this offseason in Francisco Lindor. The best. Did we have to trade pieces? Yes. But will all four of those guys amount to Francisco Lindor's career? Hell no. So we got the best player available. He's better than Springer, he's hurt. He's better than Real Muto. That five-year deal is going to, towards the end of that deal, is not going to be look so good. He's better than who else? Uh, Han didn't want to come here to be the closer. Uh, he wanted to be the closer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He was never coming here. So just every time something happens, oh, I wish we had this guy. No, no, no. We have the best team we've had in a long time, and it's going to take time to come together. If this was July, I would say, okay, it's time to panic. It's freaking April, and I was guilty of it myself. Uh, oh, the bats, blah, 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 but then like I said in the, the, my last episode, I apologize for that because I hate when Yankee fans boo Stanton after one game. That pisses me off. It's one game in the booing the poor guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, especially, I, after the, especially after the playoff run he had. He had an amazing playoff run. And then they just throw it right down the toilet. Yeah. Forewarning to every Mets fan out there, it's going to be a while before these guys get started because it's just, we keep getting stopped every time. Like I said, the Washington series, now the rainouts, mm-hmm. they haven't had any consistent play. This is kind of what, and I mentioned this last week on my show, this is kind of what knocked them out last year. Because if you remember, they started to get on a run, then they go to Miami with the COVID issue, and then they threw them off. The other thing is I hope the fans are ready because this is going to be a week where the Mets not only get rained out, they're going to get snowed out. I saw that too. I saw the seven line post that, that it's going to snow out there in Colorado. It's... (laughs) Yeah, they, they can't catch a break. Get, no, they, they they can't. But I'd rather this happen now than the end of the season. So let's just get all of this out the way now. That way we can get on a roll, and then let's see how Mets Twitter reacts when the Mets uh, get on a roll. So so after the delay to the start of the season, and then you had the tough series in Philadelphia. The Mets came home for their opening series against the Marlins. They played the home opener on Thursday, which Taiwan Walker pitched six solid innings. He only gave up two runs, but he really uh-huh. did look great. What did you think of his? Pre- performance and what he showed so far. When he struck out the first guy in three pitches, 96, all three pitches, he oozes swag and confidence. And I love it. And I love it. And then this might've been the steal of the off season. Anthony record would say, you know, during a free agency, the Mets need to get Walker. Mets need to get Walker. Mets need to get Walker. So I started, you know, paying attention to him and it looks like he was right. Uh, this guy could be a steal. 
Yeah, and I, I was kind of a little hesitant with Bauer in the beginning, but then as it got closer, I kind of wanted him on the team just for his pitching. I thought so did I. he pitched well enough last year to get whatever contract that he wanted, and I thought he, he would have been perfect for the rotation. He would have brought the rotation to another level. But mm. I always kept tabs on like the Taiwan Walkers, James Paxton, who unfortunately now has to have Tommy John surgery, I think. He's out for the season. And there's a yeah, couple done. other starting pitchers that the Mets looked after. I think Chris Archer was out there. He's injured. Mm. So many guys, and even you mentioned Springer. He's hurt. So many guys the Mets dodged. And Jake Odorizzi. Odorizzi, too. And I really do think we might have a really solid rotation once everyone can just get going, once we get Syndergaard back, Carrasco back. It could be a very solid rotation. We got we to gotta make it to June when these guys are projected to come back. That To me, that's the thing. Stay afloat because this division, everybody's going to be beating each other up. So just get to June, and then you get Carrasco and Syndergaard back. And then it's a matter of now you have you can add depth to the bullpen after that. And remember, Lucchese still hasn't started a game, and he's the fifth starter right now. Mm-hmm. So the Mets are going to have the deepest starting pitching in baseball. Yeah, and I know I know a lot of fans hate this seven-inning doubleheader. I'm not too crazy about it, but I don't hate it especially with this team right now, because you could either have the pitcher go all seven innings or if you want to limit the pitch count for the pitcher, because I know Louis Rojas likes to do that, then, you know, you could go shorter and go bullpen. So I do think the Mets can benefit from some of these seven inning doubleheaders. I think this is the perfect medicine for right now for with everything that's happened with this bullpen. That's the biggest weakness right now. The starting pitching is the strength right now of this team uh, in terms of you got to decide what do you want. So this is the perfect formula today would be five innings plus from Walker. Then you go May Diaz. Boom. Get the win. Second game, same thing. Strowman, 5-6. May, in the little loop. Diaz, boom, done. If we see any of the other guys, Lord have mercy. <laughs> yeah, and I think we need to see a little more Diaz so that it, it calms the, the masses out there. I, I know that you were having some arguments out there on Twitter yeah. this past <laughs> week with, uh, you know, I, I know you're just a huge defender of Diaz and, and people are going to be on you all season, man. Of course. Of course. And I, I, I can handle it. Like, I, I'm one of those people, see, if you notice on, on Twitter, and even in sports in general, analysts, they'll never come out and say they were wrong, but they'll flaunt and gloat when they say they're right. I have no problem if, I, if I'm wrong. I'm like, you know what? I was wrong. I'll eat crow. It's all, it's all good. Like, I can handle that. But again, like, this town, we were so spoiled by having seen Rivera on the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, we were so spoiled. And even during that time, the Mets had really good closes. Benitez, he would blow saves here and there. Wagner on the cusp of the Hall of Fame. Who knows? You know, and now we have a guy, Diaz, who's got filthy stuff. And it's early in the season. These guys are fragile. I hate bringing in a closer when it's a tie game, unless it's late in the season, or down a run at home. It's the worst. They are fragile. They are creatures of habit. It's just let them come in when it's time for them to come in. You have so many other options out there. And this is what happens. Yeah, not only has the bullpen struggled, but the offense struggled. The Mets were down 2-1. to one. Offense was not doing anything. Then the birthday boy Jeff McNeil hits the game tying home run off of Anthony uh-huh. Bass who's been struggling since the beginning of the season seemed to rattle him they go to walk Guillaume double the Nimmo and then once loading the bases Michael Conforto gets hit on the arm a little bit of the controversy there because he kind of leaned in in the strike zone which he should have been out but what did uh-huh. you think of that whole sequence how it went down do you think Conforto's default there is it all on the umpire now listen you do what you gotta do to win they always say take one from the team you know, but to me, it was his response was weak sauce. I didn't know. I 
don't know if I did it on purpose, something like that. <laughs> no, dude, it's obvious. You stuck your elbow out. Take the win. Say, you know what? I did what I had to do for the team. And remember, you had, who was going the next day? DeGrom? So if somebody threw at Conforto, DeGrom, it was DeGrom, correct? Pitching yep. the next day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if somebody threw at Conforto, DeGrom throws 102. What, you think he's not going to throw at somebody to protect Conforto? I would have said, yeah, I stuck it out. Anything to win. Man up. Own it. <laughs> yeah, I was a little upset at first with Conforto because I really wanted to see him get out of the slump. He's struggling. I don't know if he left over, what, 19 uh, people on base? He left you know, the village. <laughs> it would have been nice to see him get the hit there, but he... Sh- seemingly struck out and got away with it you know however Mm -hmm. you know the more and more i think about it and i saw a whole bunch of marlins complaining about it even mattingly i thought to myself if the shoe was on the other foot they would have done the same exact thing so a win is a win in my book they had a guy who did that all the time Derek dietrich he always did that always stuck his elbow out always they didn't complain then and then you see that video of uh jesus aguilar stealing dom's notes so i was like that's karma for him (laughs) absolutely it's all good for aguilar a character so <laughs> yeah he's he's a character and he he'll drive the Mets nuts all season him and yeah. Sterling Marte and uh is it Rojas yeah it's like Cespedes 2.0 they look related they look exactly alike yeah Aguilar and Cespedes. Uh, but the game that you know obviously <laughs> frustrated us all was that Saturday game you got your ace on the mound who pitched huh. quite possibly one of the best games that I've seen in a long oh. time. He was brilliant. Eight innings, five hits, that one home run to Jazz Chisholm Jr., and then the 14 Ks. And, and they just oh. still couldn't, the offense couldn't get anything off of Trevor Rogers, of all people. So the Mets have a history of uh, going against these guys that don't have big reputations and not doing anything. Yeah. I, Whether it's the first time seeing a guy or some journeyman, they always have this issue. They've always had this issue. Do you think that they're pressing when it comes to DeGrom games? Do you think the the, the whole team, the bullpen, the hitters, they're just pressing because they don't want to mess up a performance like this guy puts together every day in and day out? Well, it it wasn't. If you go back to when Johan was a Met, the same thing happened to him. 1-0, 2-1, pressing, pressing, pressing. Even Pedro, they press, press, press. The Mets, no matter what year, decade, day of the week, whatever it is, they've always had a history of pressing when the ace is on the mound. But then the fifth, uh, the fifth starter comes up, 16 runs. Yeah. So and they've always pressed for DeGrom. Uh, DeGrom, is, the man is perfect out there most of the time. And it just it absolutely sucks that this happens to him. But he's a team guy. I know this for a fact. You know, I keep seeing, oh, he's going to opt out and leave. Yeah, he's going to opt out because he wants to get paid. But DeGrom, and I know this for a fact, and I even tweeted out there, I'm, I'm never allowed to say who I knew who used to work at the Mets, no longer there. He used to talk about DeGrom all the time. DeGrom used to live in the building. My friend used to work. Jacob DeGrom loves being a Met. Uh, and he's all about team. He would trade those two Cy Young awards in for two World Series appearances in a heartbeat. He just wants the team to win. He's a team guy. And in this day and age, it's refreshing. Yeah, I think even Nimmo said it in his press conference that, you know, DeGrom is that, like you said, that he's a team guy. He never gets yep. frustrated at his teammates. You know, the teammates apologize and stuff like that. And and he's just, you know, let's... Let's go out there. I'm going to do my best for you guys, and I'm going to give you everything that I have, and that's it. Here's the funny thing. You know, you would think that DeGrom's a perfectionist. I know they say it all the time on TV that, oh, Jacob DeGrom's a you know perfectionist. Everything has to be perfect, blah, blah, blah. So when Steven Matz was a Met, you know, DeGrom would go out there, pitch his game, and then he goes, he would eat his hot dogs on the side, you know? Steven Matz, you know, after one mistake, it's so frustrating. We get so frustrated, you can see it on his face on the mouth. 
So DeGrom used to tell Steven Matz all the time, relax, it's just baseball, and laugh at Matz when he would get so upset at himself. And you can see, it, it, it's a game. DeGrom goes out there with ease. You never see him really get frustrated. He just goes and plays the game. The same game you played as a kid, as now as an adult. Yeah, I think he really liked the way that David Wright got his little send-off, and I think that he will stay with the team. They're already looking at contract mm-hmm. extensions for him. So I think he wants that. I think he knows that he's I mean, obviously, he won't ever be what Tom Seaver is. But I think him getting close to that area, obviously, we're in a different era of baseball. They don't let pitchers pitch as many complete games, if any complete games at all. Mm -hmm. And I really do think that he's, you know, he's right up there with them. He might have even already surpassed what Doc Gooden has done. And you've seen a lot of Doc Gooden. Yeah, that was was my guy. I just, man, just say no. I mean, it was must-see TV. I had the yellow K as a kid that they used to hang in the stadium every time he had a K. Uh, it was, I mean, Doc Gooden was, oh, man, it's so frustrating. I met him uh, when the UFC was here in 2019. I met him at a, at a bar. We snuck into a fundraiser in a bar <laughs> that a friend was bartending at. And we talked, and he told me he's a huge fan of DeGrom and that DeGrom could go down as the greatest Met pitcher of all time. He seems like such a humble guy, especially these days. I think I met him maybe at a Target in New Jersey just walking around, and he was just so nice. Uh, oh, Doc? Doc, yeah. Yeah, he yeah he was really, really cool. Not easy to talk to. It was a loud music. We, we talked for a couple of minutes. He said, I love the hat because I had a Met hat on. And I have the I posted the picture. I've never smiled so cheesy in my life. But it was just awesome to see a guy I loved on my favorite team of all time. Who, by the way, the 86 Mets would have beat any Derek Jeter-led Yankees. But don't get me started on that. 86 <laughs> Mets are my favorite team of all time, period. Yeah, I say this a lot on the podcast. I was born one month after they won that World Series in 86. So I've I've been very so if I get frustrated a lot, it's because I just want to see them win a championship. Uh, I just want to see them win it. That's kind of why I posted that question yesterday. I wanted to see what percentage hasn't seen the Metro in a World Series. And then now I can, when I see the tweets, I can see, okay, they've never seen, they've never seen. You know, I was lucky enough to see 86. I cried in 88 living in the Bronx. My my fifth grade journal was about the playoffs. I cried, man. That was just heartbreaking. Game seven was over before it even started uh, versus the Dodgers. They beat the Dodgers 11 out of 12 that year. Uh, That was heartbreaking but 86 Mets were rock stars man when you wait outside the parking lot they would drive out in their Corvettes and wave to the fans and everything it was amazing man it was amazing there was no Yankee fan around even my best friend was a Met fan then and now he's a Yankee fan and I always clown him he has a picture with George Foster and he's wearing a Met jersey and he hates it when I clown him about it (laughs) (laughs) I know for me 99 and 2006 probably the most frustrating Mm -hmm. but every time I read about it that 88 team may have been been the most disappointing ending. Yeah, Keith always says 87 hurts him the most because the injuries. They had a lot of injuries in 87. That he, they believe, he believed they could have gone back to back, and I'm with him. If the, the injuries don't happen in 87, I think the Mets have a legit chance to 3 P 86, 87, 88. That's how good they were. It's a tragedy because of the stuff that brought them down that they didn't win more than one, but that 86 team, like I said, it'll always hold a special place in my heart. It's my favorite team out of any sport, period. Now, going 
going back to this current team, uh, Sunday sure. was also as equally as frustrating. The Mets start the game when they probably definitely shouldn't have. You could see Marcus Stroman was very frustrated on the mound. I think he threw like nine pitches and he just kept no, throwing the ball back to the umpire. Yeah, a whole bucket of balls. He kept uh, doing that. Luis Rojas is, from what I what I read, he's in charge or the manager's in charge, correct? Of making a decision when it comes to the canceling the game or postponing it. Is that true? That's what I heard because I, you know, I vented my frustrations out on the umpires, but I was told that it was the Mets that make that decision. Yeah. Now, I don't know so- how much Luis Rojas makes decisions, as you could tell listening to his press conferences, but you got to, you know, you got to sit that game out or at least start well, an opener. Well, I have, when it comes to Rojas, I have some insight uh, when, okay, so remember they hired Carlos Beltran originally, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. They really wanted him because he's a smart baseball mind, Carlos Beltran. Nothing against Luis Rojas. He was going to be on the staff, correct? Yes. So they wanted Beltron. When this whole thing went down with the cheating scandal, I know my, uh, at my job, somebody who used to work for the Mets and his girlfriend, they would come by and she would always tell me stuff. And then I finally spoke to him. And pretty much Luis Ross, they wanted a yes man after the Beltron thing. That they can tell, you know, do this, pitch this, set the lineup this way. And he's in a tough spot. What is he going to do? Eight, what is it, over 15 years in the business, in the organization? You jump at the first chance. What is he going to say? No. He's not. He doesn't want to be the manager. But he's in a tough spot. And if it looks like he's a yes man, what I was told by the previous regime, yeah, that's pretty much. It's sad, but that's pretty much it. You can see by his press conferences, it sounds like he has an earpiece in and they're telling him what to say. Yeah, every every answer. I used to not want to listen, but I do tune in extra carefully to what he says and Mm -hmm. I'm struggling. I want him to succeed. I really do. But he's not showing me that. And I know it's only a short amount of games. You know, he comes in late. What about two weeks, two or three weeks before the spring training started in 2020 and then they Mm -hmm. got stopped because of COVID. They do only the 60 games and then now these only five games that they've played so far. But just hearing what he's saying, he doesn't seem like a guy who's been doing this for a very long time, especially in the minors. The players love him. The players love him. The players respect him. Now, does he have what it takes to get it done as the manager? Uh, does he have the, how do I, the cojones to tell a guy, no, this is it for you. And then we don't know that because we're not in the clubhouse. I know the players love him, but as far as do I trust him to in a big spot? I don't know. I, right now, I'm leaning towards no. And if the Mets don't make the playoffs this year, it's, he's not going to be the manager, obviously, next year. Yeah, and I was a little surprised that, you know, Sandy and Steve brought him back and not right at the bat when, with their own. I think that um, Sandy knows and has dealt with uh, Rojas, has been in the organization for so long, that out of respect, they gave him this chance, this shot. I mean, COVID last year, last season, I mean, so many uh, players struggled, manager struggled, organization struggled. You know, that's that's last year was terrible on a lot of people. So I think it's only fair to give him their whole season and see what happens. And if you catch lightning in the bottle, you might have your manager for the next 10 years. And if not, you can go out there, there'll be several high, uh, qualified candidates available, like a Mike Sosha. To me, I, I would love for him to be the Met manager. You got Sosha, you got Bochi, you got uh, Buck Showalter. I, I, I think a so to me, Sosha. He would love to get back in the game. He had a great run in Anaheim. I, I to me, Buck Showalter. I not a fan. 
he's again he takes the team to that point and then somebody comes in and cleans it up you know does does the rest but to me I'm I'm a social guy man I love his fire his passion and to me you know how it goes when you have a manager or a coach they usually go the opposite way and social is the opposite of Rojas the thing that I always worry about though is how much are they going to rely on these analytics you know that Francisco Lindor he was frustrated over yep. all this analytics <laughs> how much love for Rojas if he keeps sticking to the book. I can't stand this analytic stuff, man. It's ruined sports. It's it's ruined sports. I don't care about exit velo. I don't care about angle of the swing. I could care less about that. I, I've, I'm an old school guy. Probably you're the same way. I yep. go by what I I go by what I see. Yeah, let if them I, play. Yeah, let them play. You gotta go. Sometimes you got you gotta go by your gut. If your gut's telling you, you know what, I gotta take this guy out, and it doesn't work, and say yeah, I trusted my gut. I would respect that ten times more. Well, I went by the book. By the book. Come on, man. Yeah, that's why the first game frustrated me so much when they took out Degrom at only seventy-seven pitches. I know he eventually said that he wanted to come out, and that was the right time. But this whole six up, six downs, and just let them play. He, you know. Maybe it does help them out towards the end of the year. But if DeGrom's pitching a good game in September, he better not be coming out early because you want to get no, uh, the matchups <laughs> for the bullpen. Uh, like I, I know we we disagree on opening day with DeGrom's first start. I was all for it because it's April. You know, I, I understood. That's why I knew his second start. He was not coming out of that game no matter what. He was not coming out because of what happened in the first game. But I agree with it. I never heard this up-down thing until that after the game. What is this new term? I've never heard of it. But I was all for DeGrom coming out uh, when he did in the game. It was game one. I was all for it. I hope that he's able to adapt to this team and puts out the best possible lineups. I don't want to see, you know, if you got a guy that's hot, I don't want to see him come out because you want him to have a maintenance day. You know, I want to see them play. I want to see these guys pitch. If you don't have to go to the bullpen, don't. Because it, it, it seems like a struggle right now for them. I I, I think the, they're all pressing everyone, the manager, players. They're pre- there's so much pressure on them this year. So Because, you know, the projections are going to win division. This is a World Series caliber team. I just think everyone's pressing. I think the, it's a beautiful day out today. Perfect day to play two. I take a deep breath new week and let's go yeah let's brush off last week let's head into this new week get some wins especially if we might get stopped by a snowstorm on friday so oh yeah and then if you've seen thursday's forecast forget about it <sighs> you just and can't catch a break here pitch, yeah and the grom's supposed to pitch that day so what do you do <laughs> do, you, do you not because it could be a start and stop day with the rain do you run Lucchese out there and say, okay, you're going to pitch that day, but then DeGrom's going to be in the frozen tundra of Colorado that weekend. Yeah. I think that you definitely have to now consider this opener anytime that there is some sort of rain in the forecast. I agree. Analytics has to make that a rule for the Mets. Like They have to follow that. I thought that that was such a smart move by Dom Mattingly to do that in case they come back and then his starter comes in. Luckily enough that we have Stroman going again, but he, we might have lost him for an entire week. Yeah, I, 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 do you think he was uh, pressured into pitching today? I don't think so. I think he's a, he's very much his own guy. You know, he, he he seems that way on Twitter. I I do think he's a gamer, so I think that he's going to show people that he can pitch. But he was equally as frustrated, and and I don't blame him for it. Yeah, I don't blame him, but he'd be mad at the team. You know, the the umpires, it's not their fault. They could have 
it was crazy because three minutes into the game, it starts pouring. You mean to tell me your special forecast advisor that is on the payroll didn't <laughs> see that one coming? You could have started the game at 140, 140, and they could have got the game in at least most of the game in with a drizzle, a light drizzle. But they wanted to start it. And then three minutes later, Mother Nature said, hell no, here it comes. And that was that. I don't know who this expert is, but I laugh every time I hear it. And my expert is my iPhone. (laughs) And it tells me that it's the forecast is rain. And if it's 50 or more percent, I think that they probably should not play the game. My expert is I open the window and it's pouring and that's that. They shouldn't have, they should, the sky is black. You know what's coming. And it's not, listen, City Field in April, when it's cold, it's not a beautiful place to be in April besides opening day. So I try to avoid April games except opening day. And I'm pretty sure that day it was cold. So you had the rain, soaking rain, and I, they, Lindor was swimming that short. All right, Al, before we wrap up here, let everyone know again where they can interact with you on social media. On Twitter, at one, the number one, infamous Theo Al. And I usually put a tweet out that I'm going to go live. I do a lot of tests. I'm sorry because, again, streaming is sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. I just want to get it right. Mm-hmm. But it's one infamous Theo Al. Uh, that means uncle for all you non-Spanish people. Um, and then, you know, I'm, all, I'm good to go during Mets Twitter, uh, during the games, Mets Twitter. We have, let's have some fun. I'm all about having fun, respectful fun. But you can catch me at one infamous Theo Al. All right, Al, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast with me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed yourself. I know I enjoyed mine, and I'd love to do it again soon. Thank you, brother. And we're always on contact on Twitter, so let's go Mets. That was Al Cintron. You know him on Twitter at one infamous Theo Al. If you're a Met fan, you need to follow him. He's got some great takes, and he does his infamous takes on the Mets, the Knicks, and the Washington football team. He's also a contributor for the Seven Line, so you can find his stuff there where he writes his opinions and his fan articles on the Mets. Check it out and give the one, and that's the number one, infamous T.O. Al a follow. Now some final thoughts here. Let's start off with the bad news, okay? We got some bad news, but then we got some really great news involving the Mets. Let's start off with the bad news first and get that out of the way. Dylan Betanzas is going on the IL with a right shoulder impingement. So It seems like his Mets career could possibly be over, especially if this injury continues to linger. We know that in spring training, he was only hitting what? Between 91 to 93 miles per hour on his fastball, which was not good at all, especially if that's a pitch that he relies on a lot. So he pitched, I think, one game this season and they sent him right to the injured list. He's going to be replaced by Trevor Hildenberger. And I talked a lot about him during spring training. He's been called up. He's the sidearm. He pitched very well in spring. I was very surprised that they cut him so quickly because I thought that he pitched very well. And I feel like we need a side armor on the team. We need someone with a different angle. And hopefully Trevor can succeed with the other Trevor, Trevor May, and start to build out this bullpen because we need to start seeing success from the bullpen. I'm tired of seeing the struggle out there, especially when you have DeGrom on the mound and he's pitching well and then you bring the bullpen in and then what happened on Wednesday with David Peterson against the Phillies. I want to see this bullpen pitch well. Whatever we got to do to get them on track, please. We It's very important. The bullpen has struggled for too long and we're going to have to wait for Seth Lugo to come back. That's going to be a while. So we need these guys to really push themselves to pitch very well. Familia, Loop, you got Trevor May, now you got Hildenberger, Diaz. We need this bullpen to turn it around. 
especially with the offense not playing well. So far, the only thing that's worked has been the starting rotation. Now, on to some good news. Wait a minute. On to some great news. I read Anthony DiComo's post for MLB.com because he's the Mets beat writer for MLB.com, and he stated that the Mets have scheduled Tom Seaver's statue dedication for July 22nd at Citi Field. It will be on an off day before their homestand begins, and Seaver's family will be in attendance. Now, this is a long overdue. I could never understand why the Wilpons waited so long to honor Tom Seaver in this manner. He's the best pitcher in Mets history. He's the best player in Mets history. That's why he's called the franchise. He should have had a statue a long time ago and they waited so long and he's not even going to be here. You know, he passed away last year. He's not going to even be here for this. It's such a sad state of affairs on how the Wilpons have handled this. And I know they're not in charge anymore and now it's Steve Cohen, but this should have been done a long time ago. You know, even when they did the reunion for the 69 team, it was too far gone. You know, he had dementia and he couldn't, he couldn't come. And then the complications with COVID and he passes away last year. And it's, it's just sad that we won't get to see Tom who deserved this honor a long time ago, get to be here and know how much, you know, we appreciated as fans what he did for this organization. Speaking of honors, the Mets will also honor his rotation mate, Jerry Kuzman, with a number retirement ceremony. This was supposed to take place last year, but then COVID happened. So now there will be fans in the stands. They get to enjoy Jerry Kuzman, who deserves this honor, and it's a great honor for him. He was a part of the 69 team, the 73 team. He'd been a part of the Mets for a very long time, and well deserved for Jerry Kuzman. And that's not all. The Mets will induct three new members into the Hall of Fame this year. John Matlack, starting pitcher who pitched on the 73 team. He was 82 and 81 with a 303 ERA in his Mets career. He was a three-time all-star from 74 to 76. You have Ron Darling, who went 99 and 70 with 3.50 ERA under the New York Mets. Fourth all-time in Mets wins. Also, you can catch him in the SNY booth. He is a part of Gary, Keith, and Ron, that trifecta there. And that's another deserving pitcher that should be in the Hall of Fame. And one I'm very excited about because I grew up around the 99-2000 era. That's when I started really loving baseball. And Edgardo Alfonso, besides Mike Piazza, was one of the Mets' best hitters. Look at his career stats. 292 batting average, 120 home runs, and 538 RBIs in a Mets uniform. He was an all-star in 2000. He won the National League Championship with the Mets in 2000. He went to the playoffs in 99. He was a clutch hitter in the playoffs. This is a well-deserved honor for Edgardo Alfonso, especially since he was, I want to say, unceremoniously released when he was helped, the I think it was the Brooklyn Cyclone win their championship, then they released him. So I'm glad that Edgardo Alfonso is getting honored here. There are a couple other Mets I mentioned on Twitter that I would like to see be honored eventually in the Hall of Fame. Bobby Valentine, obviously I'm going back to that 99-2000 team. I'm going to take Bobby Valentine as the manager there. He should be in the Mets Hall of Fame. Also Al Leiter, who pitched very well for a good portion of his career as the Met and was the ace for a while for the Mets. So he also deserves that honor. And we got to get Howard Johnson in there. 30-30 guy, played so well in that late 
80s team, and he was just such an anchor for the Mets. And I think, I know I might get some flack for this because he right now is in the Yankee booth, but, you know, if you're going to have John Matlack in there, you got to have David Cohn in the Mets Hall of Fame. David Cohn pitched so well under the Mets and has a way better record than John Matlack does. So I think he is also deserving of that honor soon. Now, before we wrap up here, again, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, the things you like, the things you don't like. I want to know that as well because I want to improve this show for you Met fans out there. So rate and review the show. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. You give me a five-star review and we can climb up the rankings in baseball podcasts and New York Mets podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm. Like I mentioned before, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google podcast radio public breaker and pocket cast turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of subway to shea you can also find subway to shea on youtube this podcast is now available every thursday on the hsp network catch me alongside new podcasts like the bullpen with da the third floor lounge which covers the nfl and nba and sus talk just search high spot podcast on youtube or youtube.com slash high spot podcast and remember Listen, subscribe, share, and review Subway to Shea. And as always, I sign off with a Let's Go Mets. Take care, everyone.